Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. So firstly, thank you for taking some time out of your Better Together conference to chat with me. Could you tell folks listening who you are and what your presentation was on? Sure. Um, my name is Elizabeth. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I am a UX designer and I am also um, a member of the Sydney BiPlus network on their leadership team. And my presentation was about um, the things that tech and UX, which is user experience design and advocacy community spaces can learn from one another. Before you kind of dive further into that, I want to ask, you were one of the first presentations that I was at where you described what you looked like at the very start of the presentation. Can you tell me why you did that? So that's a that's a practice that I learned through the community work that I've done in the last year or so, where if you have people tuning in um, who have visual impairments, especially because I knew that these that, that session would be audio recorded and some people are listening and it just there's an assumption that people don't need to know or that it's not important, but it is an inclusive practice to say, yep, this is, I'm not just a voice, I'm also a person. And it just gives some more substance to that. So that's why I do it. Diving now into your subject matter, because that's a really interesting practice and I hopefully more people kind of talk about that. Um, And I want to come back to accessibility a little bit later on. But first, for folks that maybe have heard the term UX or have heard the term user experience, but don't 100% get it, what is it? So user experience is any interaction if you're on your phone and you're on an app and you you Google something or you search for something or you're scrolling as we all do, your experience of that, how easy that is, that's user experience. You, the user, experiencing something digital. That's user experience. And what inspired you to bring the UX presentation to Better Together? Because, you know, you'd hear a conference, you might expect to see a user experience presentation at, say, like a tech conference. But this is kind of an unusual space to do that. And what what inspired that? So UX, in UX, we talk a lot about empathy and empathizing with a user. And it's all about making an experience easier for a person. And I think that I brought it to this conference um, as a queer conference because I thought, We're all trying to do that for each other, too. And I was really struck by the parallels between those two spaces. As you're saying that, I'm thinking as well, like UX as a discipline has really seemed to be embraced out there kind of in the commercial world. And I guess I think is there a play is is about maybe staying competitive in that world when we're trying to get our other messages out there, advocacy or having calls to action to, you know, I guess adopting this methodology. Would this allow us to kind of keep with the time, so to speak? I think that there's. I think that there's definitely an advantage to understanding what's happening in a field like UX and tech that's moving so fast. And that, yes, if we can align with what's happening and if we in the community can align with what's happening in that space, then I think that it benefits us too. What do you think, I guess, broadly in your presentation, what do you think are some of the key takeaways that 
we can, I guess we as kind of LGBTIQ community orgs can learn from tech? So I think that tech gives us a bit of a structure in terms of how we approach problems. Um, and we can learn about making sure we're talking to the right people, making sure we're understanding problems really clearly, making sure we're exploring lots of different approaches to that problem, and then testing and testing and testing and testing. I'm glad you brought up that sort of methodology, if you will. And you talked about the four steps to that. And that first one that you mentioned, discovery, I wanted to specifically ask you about that one because I guess during during that methodology, you start with discovery stage, and most, if not all, the people here at Better Together identify as part of our LGBTIQ communities and other intersectionalities as well. Do you think that LGBTIQ folk, as being part of those communities, can skip the discovery stage, or would that be a mistake? Oh well, I think it's a mistake, and I think that I think that it's human to think I'm a part of this community. I have, and what I think and what I experience is relevant and valid, totally. You are a part of that experience. Uh, People in the community are part of the experience. It's just not, you're not the only perspective in it and it's valuable to get more perspective. When you're doing that discovery phase, do you talk to one person? Do you talk to, I mean, how, how many is, how much is enough? It depends a bit on the size and the scope of what you're, what kind of problem you're trying to solve. I think that at a, if you're looking to test something and it's new and you want to keep sort of a smaller sample size, I suppose, which is a very clinical sound <laughs> sounding sort of approach to it, maybe start with five and see what kind of things come up. If you have access to 20, that's cool. Um, I think some of it depends a bit on the experience of the people who are who are organizing, because if you get a hundred people to give you feedback, that's fabulous. But do you have, do the people looking at that data have the skill set to synthesize that much data? How big is your team? How big are the the people who are working on it? Um, So it's proportionate to your resources, but five is a good minimum. Um, If you can get 20 and more, that's a really solid place to start at a community level. And that was going to be my next question is looking at the user experience model and there are agencies that do this and have a lot of people and teams working on it. Do you think it's something that can be done, I guess, at scale if you're a community org of maybe two or three volunteers and a couple others that help them out from time to time? I think it depends a lot on the question you're trying to answer or where where you're seeing the issue. And there is some expectation setting around here's what we can get done in this space at this time. And that what you can work into that project or into that um, to that approach is um, scaling later. So what would we like to get done now? What can we do with two or three of us who are volunteers and maybe we have one extra person? Um, and how can that start a conversation? What can we do in the immediate? And then once you get to the end of that process and you've delivered and you've gotten feedback, then there's space to grow. So I think there's some being mindful that things take time and that's okay. Any effort is good effort. Now, the example you gave at the beginning was thinking about using an app or going on a website, so to speak. But can user experience methodology be used to create anything else? Yes. So uh, one space that I think is really relevant, especially for the queer community, is service design. Because that's less focused on purely on techie, appy sort of situations and is inclusive of... um, maybe how organizations are run or how you experience reaching out. For example, if you're reaching out to um, a health resource that's specific for the queer community, what's that experience? How's the experience of 
contacting them? How's the experience of arriving at the at a clinic or at a um, wherever they're based? Um, do we know about? Is there an intake questionnaire? What does the consultation process look like? That's all user experience at the end of the day. All right. So it isn't, you know, I think that's, there is that preconceived notion that maybe UX is reserved for, you know, apps and things like that, which, you know, a lot of organs don't necessarily have the capacity to create. But, you know, the UX methodology is pretty widely tried in true process. What do you think are maybe barriers? Is it those preconceived notions or are there other barriers that you think that keep LGBTIQA plus communities from engaging with that methodology more? I agree with the preconceived piece that it's like, oh, that's tech, that's fancy, that's, we don't have an app, we don't really have a website, we just have a Facebook page, that's out of our control. And so I think that, yeah, preconceived notion, that's that's a piece of it. I think that um, having a one other barrier I think of is having clear, um, goalposts and steps to take because even if maybe you do understand what the methodology is doing it is a whole other situation um and so do you have someone in your group or on your team who can guide you through that do you have the resources for that do you have the money for that do you that's there's lots of questions in that regard I think that also leads me to think about another area that a lot of orgs are thinking about with design is around accessibility. And uh, I think some folks maybe have that feeling that it's like almost too hard pile to really make it fully accessible. What would your response to be uh, to that? You know, thinking about accessibility and someone who's very mindful of accessibility as we started our conversation. Sort of what we talked about at the beginning, ask your people, do do some discovery, have a conversation about it. Because I think if there's a jump to like, oh, it's just too hard, that a step back from that is have some conversations with some people who, um, who have experience in an accessibility space. And that can be other people who organize and they incorporate accessibility and it can also be people who need those accessibility accommodations just to chat, just to get a sense of what's the true picture and then you can take that information and work with it. And then in addition to that, I would say um, something is better than nothing. Start, start somewhere and that's, it's like someone's going vegan, you know, or wants to but doesn't feel like they can quite make that jump, start. Just start something and that's okay too. There are a lot of, uh, I guess maybe I'm using my own personal experience here, but I seem to know a lot of queer UX designers <laughs> and developers out there. Um, so if any of them are listening, like what advice would you give to them? Because I, a lot of the, I guess, UX designers that I know out there, they're working in corporates or working for the banks or working for wherever. You're one of the few that I have seen who's kind of trying to make bridge that gap between LGBTIQ community works and the UX kind of community and discipline. Other queer designers and developers out there, you know, what would you be saying to them right now? I would say don't let the conversation fall to the wayside. Keep where, where there are opportunities and whether maybe it's not directly in your design work to begin with, maybe it's just working culture or maybe it's um, an idea you saw somewhere that you bring to the table and say, I'd really like to approach this, that I, I totally hear that there will be environments that shoot it down because they're like, yeah, I'm a profit and or we have other priorities or whatever. I just really strongly recommend keep trying and have those conversations in smaller um interactions, have them casually and um, show that you care, show that it, it matters to you. And as you build relationships in your in your office or in your team, um, that it 
it can happen and keep at it. Keep, keep getting engaged, keep engaging with that as much as you can. Um, again, something is better than nothing. Maybe it's too early to ask, but I'm going to ask anyhow. Have you had any initial reactions to your presentation at the conference so far? A lot of a lot of quite positive reactions, and it's I mean it's a mix between reactions to how I presented and like how I me as the presenter and then me as the content. Though I did get a piece of feedback from someone who attended who said the way you set that up the um, the double diamond the process piece of it um, really tickled a part of their neurodivergent brain and and that it that it helped frame them with some frame their some of the issues with community engagement that they're finding that there was a particular thing unrelated to the queer piece of it but more about the neurodivergent that it, the structure did something for them and it's funny that you say oh I know a lot of queer people in UX I also know a lot of neurodivergent people in UX and so that's excellent that wasn't my that wasn't, I was mostly dispensing information, but that's really fabulous feedback to hear right at the beginning. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess the framework for some neurodivergent people, that is like really helpful, that kind of structure. So that's a really great insight. Look, is there any uh, kind of final thoughts out there? If someone, it will, also knowing that there are a lot of kind of queer people out there and neurodivergent people out there that are doing UX now, if someone is interested in this discipline and wants to know more and maybe translate their skills to go in this area, how how do they start that? How did you start that? Um, I started with a Google was a piece of it was a piece of it. Um, I would say if you look for um, if you look on LinkedIn for different UX kind of communities. Um, dis- oh, actually, if I back up a second, Discord has a number of um, free UX communities. So Iterate UX and Design Buddies have. Discord servers and they do um, maybe quarterly design challenges. There's lots of conversation. There's lots of resources and mostly just connecting with people who who have pivoted into the discipline. Um, so I'd say look there. Check out Google and Google's Coursera. Google has a UX course and that's a good sort of beginner place if you want to check it out. Um, can always send me a message if you want. <laughs> Happy to chat about it whenever there's an opportunity. But yeah, the community in UX is really strong. And so I think reach out to the community and people will talk your ear off about it. Well, thank you for letting me talk your ear off about all this. And we can link to that uh, way to get in touch with you on our show page as well, joy.org.au slash wellwell. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and well-being and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.